What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. I am joined today by Misha Majid. Now, this guy started on Wall Street and then saved his soul to become the co-founder and co-CEO of Mighty Quinn's Barbecue, 10-year-old barbecue joint based in New York City. They've blown up with New York Times articles, rave reviews across the board. Now they've got 15 locations between their corporate and international franchisees. They got uh, even have four licensed locations in places like Yankee Stadium, Madison Square Garden. Uh Misha, so glad to have you on Give an Ovation. Awesome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about the, the background of Mighty Quinn's. Why Mighty Quinn's? How did it start? And uh, yeah, are you, are you happy you left the world of blood-sucking finance behind? <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah. I mean, so the, we got our start 10 years ago, like you said. Um, started up as an outdoor pop-up in Brooklyn. And uh, we opened our first flagship location in 2012. And following that, I think like the city was really just excited to have authentic barbecue um, in Manhattan, slow smoked over nothing but, you know, oak, apple and cherry wood, uh, somewhat rare uh, to have that in, in a big urban area like New York. And just off the success of that location, we continued to open up new stores and in 2018 made the decision to start franchising. Awesome. How's that been going? It's, it's been great. We signed a bunch of deals out of the gate. And then, you know, with COVID, we had a little bit of a kind of delay in getting some of these guys open. But the, the great thing about coming out of the pandemic is we have this amazing pipeline of stores ready to go. And so they've been opening. Uh, they started in 2000, the summer of 2020, and we are opening another one uh, next month. Oh, fantastic. You guys, yeah. you guys are killing. You guys got such a great brand. Customers love you. And amongst some of the most picky people in the world, New York City diners, you've still been able to expand and have a good, a good reputation. How, how do you, like, what, what do you think that has to do with customer experience? Like why, why are people loving what you're doing? I think like we've evolved the menu a little bit. You know, we we're not very quick to react to trends because, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in the food world and what's hot on Instagram and what people are craving. So we try to react to like, you know, those are like the short waves and we react to the long waves. So a long wave would be, for example, um, you know, people wanting rice bowl options as, as a lunch category. You know, maybe that didn't exist a decade ago, but now we think that that is, that was an interesting thing to include on a barbecue menu. So we launched that and that that's become really successful, especially in like our business lunch facing location. So the rice bowl came on. Yeah. Um, you know, we found that we were doing a lot of uh, interesting menu ideas kind of on the periphery of barbecue, like crispy chicken sandwiches. So that's another addition that we didn't have when we opened. So we try to, we try to like gradually adapt the menu to what we think, what we think the market's going and what we think people want from our brand. There are certain things we stayed away from. Like, for example, we dabbled in, you know, a veggie burger, a vegetarian option. And people who come to Mighty Quinn's just didn't, that wasn't something that they were interested in. Like they come to us for me for barbecue. And so, you know, that was a nice learning experience to really just stay in, in the lane of what we're doing. 
Um, so you'll, you'll, you won't see us venture too far off of, uh, of our core competency. I remember I went to a barbecue joint one time and the lady in front of me asked if they had any vegetarian options. And the guy looked at her and said, well, the turkey was vegetarian. <laughs> right. Yeah, we've heard them all. No, especially in New York and really all the markets we open in, there's a ton of restaurant options. So there's there's vegetarian options often around the block. So we don't have to be yeah. everything to everyone. And, and I think we've kind of learned that over the years. That makes a lot of sense because one of the lessons that that I've learned recently is if you try to be everything for everyone, you'll be nothing to no one. And if you're, no, if you're something true. for someone, man, that's, that's powerful. And that's where you create this magnetism. And often people look at the flip side of magnetism, which is who are you repelling? But this, because every magnet has the, the attract and the repel side. And yeah. look, at the end of the day, you, to really attract some people, you've got to repel others. And that's okay. And I feel like a lot of people fear, you know, not offering a vegetarian option, but hey, look, we're, we're, we're not that place and that's okay, right? Yeah, I mean, that's really the way the menu was formulated. We didn't want to have a very long menu. We wanted to do a few things and just do them really well. And I think we've kind of stuck to that creed. And by virtue of doing that, you're staying away from these things that really have nothing to do with barbecue or what we're good at. And I think uh, people who have known us for this many years kind of appreciate that about the brand sticks to one thing, executes well, but it does evolve, you know, slowly over time um, and, and stays familiar, which I think is hugely important. Totally. Now you've been around for 10 years uh, and here we are on the cusp in the middle, who knows where we're at in terms of this, this recession. What did you learn from the last downturns that is helping to educate and inform your decisions today? Yeah, I would say the great thing about fast casual just in general is that we live in this kind of middle ground between fast food and casual dining. And that middle ground also in- includes price. So I think in softer like economic times, you'll see a trade down from you know casual or fine dining into fast casual. It's still chef-driven food. Um, there's obviously less service component and the price is lower. So Fortunately, I think the category does fine in, in weaker times. And I'm definitely of the opinion that we're probably headed for that into early next year. Um, so I feel like we're kind of well positioned to respond to that, which is why we're kind of soon launching some lunch special options and making our menu even more of a value. Interesting. So have you guys in the last couple of years taken price? We had, so through COVID, we had a couple of price increases, um, but we got to a point where we felt that the industry was really getting away from like the underlying cost inflation, like in, 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 in so far as prices were moving faster than costs were rising for certain categories, especially like our proteins. And when we saw the protein market soften up, prices were lower. We used that as actually as an opportunity to take down our price. Um, we oh, were one of the few restaurants who actually lowered prices on a few menu items. Um, and I think we'll continue to be transparent in how kind of in our messaging and like when, when prices go up, it's because costs are going up. Um, and when the opposite happens, we're happy to kind of give it back and let people have, you know, Mighty Quinn's at a, at a kind of more value attractive entry point. And so and hopefully did, when we come into softer times, we'll be able to do more of that. Did you lower prices by actually uh, by changing the menu items or did you lower prices by actually saying, hey, brisket is now X dollars per pound? Um, so the way we did it was we had some surcharges that we had to put on the menu because of COVID-related cost inflation. And we just basically lowered or removed a bunch of those. 
Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Have, have you gotten any feedback from guests on that or has it been kind of like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't get much feedback in just in regards to price, you know, typically we, we try to be competitive with like barbecue in our areas. Um, and by competitive, I mean, usually priced slightly below um, just to be that kind of go-to spot. That's, that's not a stretch to, to, to um, access for lunch or dinner, whenever, and how, however often. So I think we're okay in that regard. Got it. Now going back with me, Misha, go, go yeah. back with me 10 years. If you could sit down with Misha 10 years ago, which is, I'm assuming you had a ponytail, no gray in the beard, you know, like <laughs> what, what would you, what would you tell that Misha? What, what advice do you wish you would have known back then? That's a good question. Um, I would say like, you know, so I come from Wall Street, like you mentioned, and at the end of the day, you know, I was in the hedge fund industry, right? So we're basically investing money. And at four o'clock, the stock market closes and you were either an idiot or a genius that day, right? Depending on how your <laughs> positions performed. So it was a very like, you knew where you, at 401, you knew where you stood, king of the world or complete moron, right? And I think in, in when you kind of pivot to like the restaurant industry, it's much more of a longer game. You know, we're building a brand. Um, decisions don't need to be made on the fly. And I think that I would have told my 10 year prior self to, you know, recognize that we can take a little bit more time and be a little bit more deliberate with everything that we do, because we're not going to be judged at four o'clock every day. Um, yes, we have guests coming in the door every day, but as we build the brand, we've allowed it to mature in a way, I think, uh, in, in a good way in that we've um, been kind of slow and deliberate in our expansion um, and also kind of deliberate in how we've decided to grow the brand through licensing, through franchising, who we pick to, to um, you know, be partners with us. Love that. Because, yeah, being able to take that long-term approach, I mean, you guys are building a solid brand, a solid business. And the thing that, I, the thing that is a big difference from like, you, you know, the finance world, I was actually at PwC for a while and is that I feel like in, in finance, you're, you're placing bets on horses, whereas what you're doing right now, man, you're on that horse. You're the jockey and you're, you're doing it, which is a, little, yes. a lot more exciting, I think. No, it's hundred percent different. You're right. I mean, and on the investing side, you're investing in other people and you're also kind of doing it through the lens of how is the market going to react to information that I think that they are not appreciating yet. Right. Right. So it's, it's, right. it's very, it, it, it was very um, subjective in a way, even though it's, it's finance, it's numbers. There was that there's a huge subjective component to investing. And I think in the restaurant industry, it's, it's a little bit more objective, right? You know, you have to crush it on food, crush it on service, you know, put an offering on the plate that people are excited about. So like, those are very kind of objective things. So definitely a little bit of a different school of thought on how to, how to kind of execute successfully in, in both industries. Love it. Now switching gears a little bit to technology. Obviously, we've we've been partners here for a little while. Um, yeah. I'd I'd love to get your thoughts. I mean, if if this turns out well, maybe it'll get published. If it turns out poorly, then I'll just send it on to my product team for improvement. But yeah, <laughs> what, what do you think of Ovation? How how has uh, has Ovation been helpful for you? Not helpful for you? Would love to just get your kind of unfiltered thoughts. Yeah. So we looked at a bunch of guest feedback platforms and we're frankly, we're on a different one prior to Ovation. And the thing I liked about Ovation was the first thing you see, it's like, how'd we do from one to five, right? So you guys express that through emojis, which is fine, but it's very familiar. It, it's not asking about specific categories. So it's a very kind of low friction way for people to tell you like you sucked or you're awesome or somewhere in between. 
And then if they if they choose to throw a comment about what they want to either commend or complain about, which I think I love the fact that it gets to the point. It's not a etched in stone uh, kind of pre thought up list of questions that maybe customers don't want to answer or didn't care about or didn't uh, had nothing to do with their experience. So you take away the friction and you just uh, give them a very kind of very quick touch point um, interface to tell you how you did. And that's, that's what attracted us to the platform. And have you found that you have, do you still feel like you get the data you need to take action on making improvements? Or is that something that you feel like you, you miss from the longer surveys? Um, no, I think that when people want to tell you that you forgot their fries or that a table wasn't clean or that they didn't get great service, they can just tell you that. They don't have to get through five questions before they get to the point of why they're either happy or mad, right? They could also tell you, you guys crushed it. This is the best barbecue I've ever had, right? So because Ovation allows them to get right to the point and not have to go through these different steps, I think we get, we get A, more feedback. Um, B, I love the fact that you can also then uh, push those positive the positive feedback to the review sites, which is hugely important. Um, but also the, the, the numerical component of the dashboard is great because we can just kind of quickly look store to store and see just, okay, what percentage of your uh, surveys were five-star, right? And we can kind of quickly see who's doing better versus each other. And then if they're not doing well, we can kind of quickly try to figure out why based on the um, Ovation feedback. Awesome. Well, cool, Misha. So overall, would you recommend Ovation? No, terrible. I would stay away. No, no, I'm kidding. No, it's it's been great. And and I do recommend it when people ask about what tools we use to get feedback. I I definitely do recommend it. Cool. Awesome. Well, along those lines, what what do you feel like is one of the most important aspects of of guest experience nowadays? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think it's the same thing that it was 20 years ago, which is convenience. You know, 20 years ago, convenience probably meant something meant something much different. You know, it was probably like, where's your restaurant located? Is it easy to get to? And I think today it's more about, you know, how digitally can customers interface and, and order from your restaurant, right? Whether it's through an app or a kiosk, whether it's on-premise or off-premise, I think it's increasing the customer order channel options is what defines convenience today. Um, so even though it's the same, the same endpoint, you're getting there through, through a different um, scale, right? It's, no, it's not so much where you're located. It's, it's how customers can interact with the brand, how they can order and the options you give them, whether it's, you know, on-premise, off-premise delivery, all the stuff that we talk about today. I think that that's really interesting that you, that you bring up convenience. Um, a lot of prior guests have brought up a different word and I want to get your thought on this. They, they yeah. brought up the word consistency. What, what do you think about, how does consistency play into it? Yeah. I mean, that's hugely important too. I, you know, it's hard to just say, you know, that guest experience is defined by one thing because right. When you're in the barbecue business, especially in Manhattan, people will come to us on a trip to New York only once. And so like their measure of consistency is really just reflective of what they experienced at one time. There's no, there's no metric to see how we did on a repetitive basis. But of course, yeah, consistency, I think for all brands, they try to have a consistent guest experience. Um, so so I, I would agree with that. That's, a, that's an interesting perspective of the, that one time hit customer, right? Yeah. Especially in New York, or if you're in a touristy area, you, you can't really rely on that. You know, the, the monthly, those weekly businesses, um, you know, customers coming in and, and getting that, getting that order. But I think that's a really interesting perspective though, because if it's convenient, 
right? And they look you up and you've got good ratings, then yeah, you're going to get the, that out of town, you know, the, the out of towners coming in and yeah. you don't need to market to them, but you can get them to market for you by leaving you a review. And then the next out of towner that comes in, they look up like good barbecue to eat around me. And it's oh, like, Hey, I came in from out of town and found some awesome barbecue, five stars, right? That, that goes yeah. a long way. Yeah. So in the barbecue business, we have the benefit of obviously we have our kind of consistent customers that come in often. Um, but barbecue is also like a category that is tapped for like big events, right? Like celebratory events. Yeah. So we do get those people who visit us, you know, once, twice, three times a year, tourists who maybe come only once. Um, it's a mix of both. So we have to kind of think about that in the way the restaurant's set up and the way we want to like decrease the friction people understanding what we're doing, how they order, and also, of course, trying to ensure a consistent experience across any any guest frequency metric. Love that. Now, what are some successful tactics that you've tried lately? Sure. We, uh, we recently opened a few kind of kiosk-only ordering locations. Um, these are smaller footprint locations that we specifically set up to be primarily takeout and delivery restaurants. And so I think having the digital interface um, really allowed us to obviously focus on kind of food execution, but also allow people to kind of interact with our menu um, kind of on their own time and scroll and kind of look at pictures. I mean, it's, it's a very different thing than just kind of talking to, you know, a person behind a register. So it's really kind of enlightened us as to what is possible inside a much smaller footprint location, which we're pretty excited about. And so you do a hub and spoke model for that. So you, you'll cook it in one restaurant and then you'll just have inventory that you keep at, at the smaller locations. Well, I mean, everything's cooked on site, um, but we just have much smaller dining rooms. Oh, so even in those smaller locations, you still cook it there. Yeah. We still have the same cook line as other restaurants. Um, It's really just comes down to like, for example, in Hoboken, we have, I think, you know, 12 seats. um, And the majority of the restaurant is, basically back of house between kind of the basement storage refrigeration space and the back of house kitchen. Like that's where the, the kind of the, the, uh, the majority of like the 800 feet ish space that we lease there uh, serve. So we also set up the line to be mindful that there's going to be, you know, couriers coming in and out to pick up bags to deliver. Yeah. Um, so we want to make sure that that doesn't interfere with people who are a few people who are dining in. Um, we want to make sure that that's kind of like a very seamless uh, flow of, of people. So I've used some kiosks that are really bad. Um, okay. Any, any that you, any like partners that you would recommend people looking at specifically, be, you know, cause obviously I'm assuming once you've put it in, it's kind of hard to like rip and shift. And so you probably did a yeah. bunch of research to find out which ones are, are good. Any, any that you want to mention? No, we did, but you know, fortunately like kiosks are not a very expensive capital investment. So you know, we are, we're currently using Toast, um, the, the Toast kiosk function, but we are looking at other kind of overlays on top of that that have more dynamic um, ordering and selling options. So we haven't onboarded anybody yet. We're talking to a few players. I'm sure you would know the names if I mentioned them, but ask me again next year and we probably would have a slightly more um, dynamic and updated kiosk interface. And have you found anything in terms of um, a bump in ticket, a bump in tips, any sort of changes going to the kiosk model? Um, no, the I mean the, the noticeable one is the ability to drive higher throughput during kind of peak 
service rushes because you're no longer kind of beholden to someone talking to someone on the other side of the counter. You know, the more kind of interfaces you have to order, those tickets can come in as fast as people can kind of place their orders through those kiosks. So right now, I think in our we have one location with four kiosks, and that allows us to drive higher tickets through like the peak lunch hours, which is when we're busiest. Got it. Um, so beyond that, like it's, it's still, these are new restaurants. So it's a little early to kind of truly compare ticket averages and, and, and tips, um, versus the traditional setup. Interesting. Now who deserves an ovation in the restaurant industry? Who's somebody that we should all be following? Um, well, you know, when we saw you, I saw you in Vegas, right. Last month, um, before I went to the airport, we hit in and out. I'm sure you're familiar. Oh, I'm familiar. Okay, I haven't, I grew up in LA, so I haven't had in and out for about five years. And I mean, those guys just crush it. I, I'm so impressed. Like the the burger and fries that they plated up, it looked like it was made for like a photo shoot. Like the tomato was perfect, the lettuce was perfect, the fries were plated up like picturesque. And uh, I think you know, it's just it's it stood the test of time. Those guys just crushed it on execution. And, uh, you know, I don't get these people who are talking about, you know, Shake Shack is better, better than In-N-Out. I just, it, it makes me concerned for the youth of America when I hear things like that. <laughs> I will say, I talk, talking about consistency, I don't know if there is a brand in this world that, that does it more consistently than In-N-Out. I mean, it is, it is impressively consistent. Now, I personally, I, I love their burgers, not a fan of their fries. But I, I will tell you, if you eat their fries and he, you, you're like holding your breath, you're like, hold it, hold it in, hold it in, Misha. <laughs> I, you know, for me, I feel like there's just, I feel like there's better fries out there, but I can appreciate their consistency because there are other okay. places, there are other places I go to where sometimes it's a nine out of 10 and sometimes it's a three out of 10. And yeah. to me, that might as well be a zero out of 10. Cause if you can't keep it, if you can't keep it at the, at the same level, like, yeah. so I know what I'm getting, but when I go to an in and out in Orem, Utah, when I go to an in and out in LA, it is the same. It looks the same. The service is the same. The vibe is the same. And that is, that is incredible. Yeah. I mean, look, the fries are a little polarizing. I've heard people love or hate them. I grew up on them. I love them. I think that they taste fresh and good. They don't taste like a, a kind of chemically crispy product, which I think yeah. some places have <laughs> or frozen. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I'm, I'm feeling them, but I, I hear you. I, I understand they're a little bit different than like the traditional fast food fry. Yeah. Well, Misha, um, how do people find and follow you and Mighty Quince? Uh, sure. I mean, I think our most active channel is still Instagram and it's, uh, at mighty Quinn's BBQ. Um, I personally am not really on social media. Um, I'm on Twitter at Misha Magid, um, but I don't really tweet much. It's more just to kind of follow other accounts and, uh, and LinkedIn. Okay. Well, keep me posting how, uh, how Elon's doing over there. Um, well, Misha for going from making cash cows to making cows that make cash. Today's ovation goes to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Given Ovation. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Glad you're with us today. And thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.